<laughs> Ugh, what is that? This what? Why do you keep saying mm-hmm like that? Mm-hmm. Ah, stop. You sound like Yoshi. <laughs> Yoshi? Yeah. Yoshi! Yeah, there it is. That's the exact Yoshi! thing. That's the exact same thing. <laughs> Welcome to the Hypercube Podcast. This is a show where... Mm, nope, I just did the wrong intro. I'm doing resin <laughs> roleplay. <laughs> yeah. This is a show where... Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm stuck. I'm doing two shows at the same time, and this never happens. We you have two uploads a week. I don't need to write anything down. I'm a professional. Um, that's No, that's the opposite of a professional. Hello, everyone. This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. Hey, Raph. Yeah? What's the nerd version of Stolen Valor? I have no idea. I feel like there should be a word for that, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. There's got to be one, right? There's definitely... I remember this was the biggest thing in high school, right? Especially like amongst like particular subculture groups where it's just like, ugh posers oh yeah i remember posers yeah like posers of like particular subculture groups like oh like you're a you're a poser like you're not a real goth or Mm -hmm. whatever (laughs) yeah yeah poser you're not a real subculture person yeah whatever that means (laughs) (laughs) like what's what's the nerd version of like is it still poser is it like because stolen valor for nerd stuff I think so. Well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like poser is specifically, yeah, that those kinds of um, sort of fashion and music based subcultures. Yeah. I feel like Stolen Valor is specific to military based subcultures. Right. I don't know what the nerd based subculture one would be. I feel like yeah. it needs its own particular term. There's definitely some reference somewhere, <laughs> some nerdy <laughs> reference that totally exemplifies it. But I, I'm just not sure which one it would be. Yeah, because right before we started recording, not right before, because we talked all about a lot of stuff before we recorded. <laughs> uh, we were talking about how I haven't, or I haven't shown Raph our con pictures up from the con we were talking about in one of our previous episodes. Yeah, super. Like, yeah, as far as I know, yeah, you didn't even go to a con. I was like, hmm, <laughs> maybe I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stolen valor is a very fascinating thing, though. It really is, and people do it. Just all the time. Yeah, like, all the time. Just, like, obviously, there's, there's the recognition of being perceived as a hero, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I served in the war. It's like, did you, though? That, that's an entire thing. Like, that is, that is both, like, legally and culturally problematic, right? Yeah. Because, obviously, you can't claim, like, veteran status. That's a, like, that comes with particular legal benefits. Mm-hmm. But as well, as well as culturally, you can't, like, take that away from people who actually were in, like, very very stressful dangerous important jobs it's just like it i get why people would want to do that for that kind of recognition but then there's like stolen valor for some basic stuff like <laughs> like just real dumb stuff like i'm sure there's somebody somebody somewhere who's just who 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 claims just up and down to anybody that they were like like, they were the star player on their high school football team, right? And they were just nowhere near it. There was somebody somewhere doing that, 
and it's a, the weirdest kind of stolen valor. There's probably somebody who's like, yeah, I'm a con goer and has never been to a con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just just wants the prestige, the perceived prestige. Yeah. But uh, that's an interesting thing, too, is they actually, oh, I'm going to keep coming back to this because it's still going. The, uh, <laughs> the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, they actually have been doing bonus episodes. That series ended a while ago officially, but they've been doing yeah. bonus episodes of little afterthoughts as well as some like follow up interviews and stuff. Um, but they had I'm one sure that, like. I'm sure like after that podcast came out, uh, a bunch of people were like probably coming forth and being like, oh yeah, like now it's more public. I could talk about this a little bit more open. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I didn't, I didn't know that you guys were doing this and you didn't interview me. So <laughs> yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's been a, a little bit of that I'm sure. But yeah, there's also been some people that they were trying to get for the entirety of the duration that didn't decide to agree to an interview until now, but mm-hmm. they were there. Yeah. yeah and exactly, just also exactly, just yeah. like afterthought stuff from the, from the writer and host. And, right. um, but as well as also some like uh, retractions too, which is actually pretty interesting. They made some modifications to the earlier episodes based on yeah. a complaint that one of the survivors had, and so that's good. Yeah, yeah, that was actually really, really cool. I was surprised that they did, they did that. Um, but the on one of them, one of these bonus episodes, Mike Cosper, the host, he talks about he actually talks about stolen valor, and. Well, he, he, it's part of a larger conversation about institutions in general. And it's interesting. Right. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of thinkers in the evangelical world right now that are thinking deeply about this idea of institutions, especially because there's a lot of disillusionment going on right now about institutions. Yeah. And it's like, what, yeah. is that, what does that mean? What do we stand for? What is the purpose of institutions to begin with? And he talks about stolen valor and how... Basically, and there's a lot of people, obviously a lot of military people recognize stolen valor when they see it and are always, always uh, keen to call it out when they find it. And he talks about, you know, if you like search on YouTube, you can find a lot of videos of this happening, like on the streets and stuff. And like people getting publicly called out by uh, actual veterans uh, for their stolen valor. And the and it's and what he points out though is that like that is an example of like good gatekeeping that institutions should do right because yeah. that's well, essentially what it is it's it's a self it's self enforcing to ensure that you know whether somebody is who they say they are and it's the culture itself yeah. that enforces it yeah self policing but yeah. that's the that's that's one of those things as well uh, when it comes to gatekeeping as a term it's an umbrella term that somehow like gatekeeping is all bad. Right. But that's not necessarily true. Like there is good gatekeeping and there is good, like, for, for example, it's like the, the idea of gatekeeping of just keeping a certain group of people out. Right. If, if that, if, if that's used to like, you know, reinforce like, uh, cultural identity politics stuff like that, like that's obviously bad. If like, this is like a, a particular group of people for an arbitrary reason, that kind of gatekeeping is bad, but gatekeeping in general is used all the time. You don't want a certain kind of people to like own firearms, right? That is yeah. also gatekeeping, but there, you don't want a certain kind of people, like you were just saying, like you don't want people who didn't serve in the military to be able to have the benefits of having served in the military. Yeah. That is technically also gatekeeping. Like th- there is a lot of self-policing that the, that the veteran community does that like, is inherently gatekeeping and it's and it's good gatekeeping 
Like we're, we're we want that kind of gatekeeping. Everything has everything exists on a spectrum. There's <laughs> all by hey, there's yeah, pros and cons. Hypercube drinking game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, back yeah, back to spectrum every time. Back to spectrum. Take a drink every time you mention a spectrum. But like yeah, like there's toxic and then there's like yeah, I don't know, what's the opposite of toxic? Productive or uh, positive? Yeah, healthy. Positive. Yeah, sides to pretty much everything. Yeah, um, well, it's like, like you always say, everything. moderation too, right? Yeah, everything in moderation. Like it goes back to that thing I always say, which is the difference between poison and medicine is dosage. Too much of anything can always, you know, become toxic. If you are, if you are overly biased in your gatekeeping, it's going to become toxic. But you, you're, you, everybody wants to moderate. That's just good. You don't want unmoderated anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. I, was just, I, was, I was trying to th- think of a list of things. I was like, oh, wow. Like, all of that would be bad. <laughs> all of it would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was kind of hilarious. Did you see Hank Green's video that he did on Vlogbrothers uh, on Elon Musk after the whole Twitter debacle? Mm-hmm. And how... I did not... Yeah. I did not see it, but I saw it. It's interesting. It's interesting. Well, because obviously, Hank thinks a lot about twitter <laughs> it's a problem he does he, he thinks, has a, he he has thinks an a lot unhealthy about obsession with twitter he had he does kind of have an unhealthy obsession with twitter i think just in social media platforms in general because he just like thinks about how he interacts with like, yeah his environment a lot and i think twitter is just the most direct social media experiment that you can point to and be like this is a like this is the most distilled pure version of social media content that you can get <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, it was talking about that as well. Like, you know, uh, Elon Musk was talking about buying Twitter for the sake of like lessening the moderation on it. And Hank Green was talking about, it's like, well, that's not really, there are reasons why that's not really a viable solution to anything. That's not really something you want to do. And sure enough, like several weeks after making that decision to buy the whole thing up, he literally shows a clip in that video of him reversing his position and saying like, well, actually, uh, we, yeah, we are going to still have some moderation. He's like, it took him three weeks to realize what I could have told him right off the bat. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's really true. But that's the thing. Moderation is always, is always a necessity. And as, yeah, as you keenly point out with your illustration of medicine and poison, right? It's dosage, just too much of a good thing, an unmoderated amount of any good thing can become, uh, essentially toxic or lethal or poisonous yes. it literally you toxic. know we need water to live but it could also drown you mm-hmm. did you know that you can drown by drinking too much water kind of it's not technically drowning that sounds awful yeah so <laughs> you know what happens when you drink water uh your cells get yeah, hydrated. hydrated and and uh there's a thing called uh osmosis where uh water tr- you know transfers between your cell walls depending on like salination uh, levels so, so on and so forth the point is if you drink a ton of water like literally gallons at a time your cells take in so much water that they explode Ugh. yeah that's not good it was a big problem it was a big problem back in the day i remember i think it was in colleges in like the early 2000s something happened where there was a hazing ritual where a bunch of students were forced, like freshman uh, students were forced to drink like a ton of water. They're like, oh yeah, this, this is safe, right? It's, it's water. It's literally water. We're just gonna like, <laughs> we can't make you drink milk because you throw up. 
you like or we can't make, do alcohol because there's alcohol poisoning. We'll just we'll make them drink like a gallon or so of water. And they did, and these kids died because their cells exploded, like their heart, their vessels, like they they I don't I don't know exactly the the method of death other than like organ failure, but they drank so much water that their cells took in so much and they exploded and these kids died as a result of it. Water isn't safe, even if you think you're consuming it in a safe way. Everything is toxic in some, some way or another. Like the, the, it's hard to think about it because we have this civilization constructed around keeping us as safe as possible. And we're basically like living all in, uh, we're not literally living in like bubble boy land, but like <laughs> civilization is a kind of insulation against the threats of nature. Literally everything is trying to kill you. You have to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Wow. I didn't know that though. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and literally everything, including water. Water is good for you. Including water. It's not, it's not even like if you jump into it, you'll die. If you drink too much of that stuff, you'll die too. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to say, like, even... Uh, it, okay, let me, let, let me do what I do and bring this back to uh, theological application. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Take another shot. <laughs> I was going to say, like, because, like, uh, in, in Christian theology, God is the ultimate good. And I was like, well, okay, then. I guess there, there, there is one good that, uh, not, that you know, is not, is not entirely lethal to overexposure. <laughs> yeah. But, no, then I realized that's incorrect because, in our, at least in our current forms, in our fallen nature— and there, of course, the, 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 our destiny is to be in a new nature and new bodies that are capable of handling this. But as it is now, it, that is very explicitly the case, according to Scripture, that yeah. being exposed to God and all of his goodness right now would kill us, like literally outright kill us. Yeah, instantaneously. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's just like. All too much of good things will kill us. <laughs> well, well, that's the, that's the, okay, now I'm going to bring this back into a philosophical <laughs> kind of, <laughs> just when it comes to the, 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 the state that we're in, right? The, the current forms that we inhabit, this mortal, frail frames that we have, that we all, that we all inhabit, right? Mm-hmm. These bodies that our minds inhabit, they, they're inherently extremely, extremely frail. Like they're the, the, the current forms that we inhabit are they're they're flawed, they're imperfect, they're subject to disease and sickness and all this other stuff. And then like look at any culture who has an idea of like ascension or uh transcendence or anything like that, right? It it's always like to, it, it removes the qualities of mortality. Obviously, there's the becoming immortal in whichever form of heaven that different cultures will kind of have as a, as an afterlife. But even so, whatever that goodness is, there is always an aspect of whatever, wherever it is you're going to like, you know, in the afterlife or in whatever kind of transcendent form that you might take, whatever that is, is overpowering for whatever your current body currently it's like you have to you have to be destroyed first so even that good stuff is inherently destructive in nature because you can't you cannot remain mortal and have that inherent or have that pure good whatever it is it is inherently destructive yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. That's very much the case because our current forms just cannot handle can't handle it. They can't, can't they handle can't it. handle it. They can't handle it. I've been listening also, I'm always listening to the Bible Project podcast, and they've been doing an interesting thing this year, which I actually think is really cool for a podcast, is um, because last year they did this thing where they defined their paradigm. I think I was telling you about that when that happened. That was a really interesting yeah, series. We, we still need to do that. Yeah, we, we should do some paradigm defining on yeah. here as well, for yeah. sure. But they talked about their paradigm for reading the reading the Bible. And what they're doing this year is they actually dedicate this entire year to show how they exercise that paradigm in reading the Bible. And what they're doing is week by week, they're reading through the entire Torah, um, all mm-hmm. five books or the Pentateuch, as we call it in the Christian tra- yeah. tradition. But the, the Torah and the Pentateuch, same thing. They're reading through the entire Torah and yeah, just going through that in its entirety and applying their principles. And it's super cool. But yeah, he talks about that. And that's a framework that I actually hadn't uh, understood the wilderness narrative through that you find in the Torah, which is, you know, the, uh, the point between Israel arriving at the promised land and after they've left Egypt. So it's after they've left Egypt, before they arrive in the promised land, mm-hmm. that area in the wilderness is because like I've always thought of that as being yeah a time of like I mean there's those elements of like rebellion and like oh yeah all of them you know they just become just very uh, I, I suppose uh, uh, difficult and disobedient people in all mm-hmm. of the difficulties of the wilderness but there's also this element of the fact of the fire being there and like God dwelling among them being like a powerful thing but also a dangerous thing and. Mm-hmm. Tim Mackey kind of emphasizes that where it's just like it's inherently dangerous and it it, it can literally kill you <laughs> if you get too close yeah. or yeah if you uh, if you defile the holy of holies and all of that so it's like yeah inherently dangerous yeah. but everything's a spectrum yeah so it's like too much of a too much of a good thing will just be overpowering Always. Let me let, let me circle <laughs> every back. single time. <laughs> every single time without fail. Like we haven't figured an exception yet. Um, at least in the in the in this world, with the rules of even, the world as we now know it. Yeah. Like even things that are inherently good will kill you. That is why smite is a broken spell in, in DD. <laughs> divine smite, <laughs> as in? Yeah. Yeah. Hit them with that divine smite and just be like, pow, holiness. <laughs> Look at that. I literally added more dice to my damage. That's how good this is. It's goodness. I'm hitting you with raw pureness. <laughs> yeah. The power of my beliefs. It does 2d6 damage. 2d8, actually. 2d8. 2d8 damage. It does more if you're evil, though. <laughs> that's, that's, that's because of that, um, uh, the passion that the evil people bring to their... That's what I call just being a dick. <laughs> being passionate. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have to be incarnately evil, essentially, for yeah. that to be the to get that extra damage, because you have to be either, I think, an undead or a fiend. And, you know, that's pretty bad. You know, you could be a jerk or you could be an undead or a fiend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you need to watch Calamity, man. So I need to uh, there's, there's there's a fascinating paladin character in there, but the one with the not, I was gonna say verbal sword, uh, Holy Avenger. Yeah, yeah, he has a holy adventure. Yeah. I think I told you that much. But yeah, you told me beforehand that you haven't seen it yet. We're we're going to have to delay doing the spoiler cast on it on here. I still want to do that. I was kind of hoping to 
make a lessons from calamity video for my personal channel that is a condensed version of our conversation on here i uh, can kind of yeah. kind of pull a bible project you know myself yeah in that yeah, regard yeah. but i'm That's afraid really i think idea for content yeah but like i think the relevance uh window is kind of fading so i might just do that video on its own i don't know because uh yeah definitely i feel like we got a bit of an extension by virtue of the fact that they did several roundtables afterwards mm -hmm. but uh yeah i think by the time we record another podcast that i think that that window will definitely be passed so we'll see if i can find the time i might try and squeeze that video in there although i'm realizing because my time has been so limited nowadays and i've got such massive projects that i've been working on and in addition to a full-time job I, I feel like I need to streamline my video creation process a little bit because there's definitely a lot of stuff that I need to do that aren't important. I suppose that means that I want to do them, not need to do them, yeah. but <laughs> there's definitely a lot of stuff that I want to do that I just don't have time for, which means if I'm going to do them, I'm going to have to do them in a very, how should I say, extemporaneous kind of way with a lot yeah. less preparation than I would want to do. Which yeah. I'm sure is fine too. I'll just have to settle. <laughs> yeah. You have to accumulate enough stuff that you can make time for all these things that you want to do and just set up set up like set aside some time, one bit of time for a bunch of these little projects. <laughs> yeah, do like uh uh who's that person you watch? Bo the fifth column, you say who does like a bunch of videos at the same time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just he, he batch recording. He's like Yeah, he recently did a video where he's like, I get a lot of these uh questions or comments or whatever it's just like i that aren't worth a whole video on their own but all together all equal to one video <laughs> and it's yeah i think um actually uh i've seen that content style a, a, a couple different ways now in a bunch of different like artist spheres like there was one what batch recording yeah like, ba like, like, like i'm gonna do projects. several several videos in one sitting yeah. like batch projects because i did a thing is another youtuber that i follow who's a, a really maker <laughs> like like there are good makers and this i did a thing i think I, he did one where it's just like a bunch of his uh, like a bunch of dumb projects all in one that like just aren't worth the video like or a bunch of dumb suggestions like like making uh, a treadmill with sandpaper <laughs> or like replacing a sand like a uh, treadmill with sandpaper it's like that's it's literally just like I do it and then I figure out if it's dumb yeah it, it was dumb moving on <laughs> yeah yeah one one idea on its own, not worth a whole day, but ten ideas equal a whole day a whole day of, of recording. So you might have to do that. You might have to accumulate a bunch of those together and then end up doing just like a weekend to record all of them. Yeah, but where am I gonna get a weekend to record all of them though? <laughs> I don't know. Next year. <laughs> it's, not, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. You never know. It might you might just a weekend might fall in your lap. I I would sure like that. <laughs> well, hold on. Let me circle back to something before we get too far off the beaten path, because I didn't complete okay. my thought earlier when I was talking about uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill and uh, gatekeeping and stolen valor. So, well, just to bring it to his point, though, the application that he, uh, Mike Cosper used with regard to stolen valor and how he said that was a good version of gatekeeping of yeah. how uh, institutions should function in that way. And he was just talking about how the way that applied to Mars Hill was just the fact that he feels like um, there's a certain element of that with uh, 
with certain kinds of pastors as well, where it's almost like a form of stolen valor where you want the social capital it gives you without mm-hmm. actually having done the thing to build that trust and to be a yeah. trustworthy person. Because it's like that is a a social position that automatically puts you in an elevated position of trust. And then if you don't have if you haven't done the earning of that trust or built the character to be able to sustain it, then you could end up abusing that trust that people want to give to your institutional role. Yeah. I think that's mostly the problem uh, when it comes to institutions and people falling out of trust with various institutions is the fact that a lot of institutions have become a shortcut to trust where people just like, okay, instead of, Instead of building myself up as a person of trust and then having that be uh, solidified within an institution, I'm going to use this institution as a method of acquiring trust. Mm-hmm. It's backwards, right? And then yeah, therefore, it's a means to the end. Who end. Yeah, and then therefore people shortcut basically just becoming a better person by taking advantage of these things. And then it's we now have these institutions that are chock full of people who haven't put in the the character work to be to be trusted yeah and i don't know how much i've talked about this on the podcast but i know we have uh, in our own conversations which is character development i should i guess we could call it is something that i've always uh, that i've been increasingly fascinated with the older i get because there's not to my knowledge a hard science about it right there is no characterology but well is that is there you, you say that but then there are entire groups of so of psychopaths who do nothing but develop character. This is fair, but you understand my point, though, right? I, it I isn't. I, I totally get it. It, I totally it get isn't it. a field of study, and yet it is something that I find you can study, and that you can yeah. develop, and that you can nurture, and that you can find a way to discern and understand it. But it's something that requires active intention. And yeah. again, the older I've gotten, the more fascinated I've been with this idea of character because. I guess the more essential I've understood it to be, right? It's not just like, because it's like, it's it's ephemeral, I think is what fascinates me about it, right? It's mm-hmm. because it's not a hard science, you can't really put your finger on what strong character is, and yet everybody recognizes it when they see it. Yeah, and the problem is, it, the problem is it's also very, it is a social construct where it, the definition of strong character differs between communities and between yeah, between different cultures, where hmm. obviously there are there are certain traits that are universally valued, but then there are certain traits within specific cultures that are required to have strong character that aren't necessarily universal between between different cultures, right? Sure. I can think but- of a couple of examples, but not off the top of my head. But there's strong character is it's not something that I think what I'm trying to say is it's not entirely universal and therefore it's hard to define one like curriculum to develop a strong character. It's really, it, it, it takes a lot of introspection and like study of like the environment that you live in to say like, what are the traits that are valued that I need to be able to express and exhibit in a healthy manner? Yeah. But let me, well, let me push back on that a little bit though, because at the same time, like you said, some traits, like there are some virtues that are universally valued and i think 
this is just getting back, I guess, to the root of the moral argument, but that's another thing entirely to tie it back to theology, but we don't necessarily need to do that here. But the, 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 this is a, a core fundamental part of the moral argument is the fact that there are, there are such a thing as universal values to some extent, right? The specifics will change from culture to culture as to how it manifests, but there are... And like, and how it's expressed specifically, I think it's the expressions mainly that differ, but exactly. the That's values themselves will, that underlie them, right? The virtues are, are what matter in the abstract. And I think those things that are universally valued are the things that ultimately define strong character. And, and of course, having a good idea and a good understanding of the culture in which you live is essential to understanding the expressions again of those values. But it, I think it's possible to cultivate those values in such a way that they are applicable in a wide variety of cultural circumstances. And yeah. I think it is those underlying, those underlying universal parts that ultimately make strong character because the expressions of it can very drastically like you said, from culture to culture, but also person to person as well. So it's not, it's less, again, like you said, it, you can't, it, for that reason, you can't really nail a curriculum to it. It just has to be something that is to a certain extent intuited and it requires wisdom. I think wisdom is a very useful word here because wisdom and intuition and just understanding how to express principles of character within your cultural context and within your own personality, right? In the, your specific way of manifesting it. I think you're right. I think, you, I think you got to the point that I was trying to get to a lot better. But you know, I just realized we're talking about. What are we talking about? We're actually talking about teaching learning. Okay, now we're getting kind of meta, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> because what, when it comes to teaching somebody how to learn, there's only so much you can do. Obviously, teaching somebody to memorize things is way easier. And therefore, there is curriculums for that. There is curriculums for memorizing times tables, which apparently was what you were supposed to do with times tables as a kid. I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know you were supposed to memorize it. <laughs> but the yeah, like that that's the way like a lot of education has gone, is just because it is very difficult and sometimes I don't want to say impossible, but there are a lot of people who literally do not want to learn how to learn. This is true. This is true. I've seen it happen in real time. I've seen it happen in real time. And it's just like, if you don't want to learn how to learn, you won't just because of how it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than that. So it's like, it's really hard to ex explain, or, or rather, it's really hard to set like a curriculum and just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to teach you how to learn. It's like, man, I just give me the answer. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the point. It's the exact same thing when it comes to learning character, when it comes to being a good person. It's just like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. It's like, yeah, but like, what are the things I have to do to be a good person? It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are the list of things that I have to do? Well, yeah. it's like, well, that is a very, I guess, uh, psychopathic way of approaching it, right? Is like almost like looking for the bullet point list of... yeah what constitutes being a good person yeah. versus you, how to do it principally. Yeah. And you see that a lot in very kind of like toxic personality teaching videos where it's like, here's how 
okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on this one specific kind of video that I've seen. But it's like, here's how to get women to like you. Oh, those boy. kind of videos, right? Yeah, it's, like <laughs> it's a, it's literally bullet point lists of things to do at a bar or in a social situation to get women to like you. It's obviously aimed towards men, and it's just like. No, that is a very specific way to get a specific type of single individual to like a specific type of single personality type. That is not how to get all of one half of the population to like you. Because <laughs> like, that is impossible. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's the thing is it all boils down to individuals. And again, learning principles over now, this is a hypercube drinking game. Here comes another one that we're going to talk about a lot, right? Principles. Principles versus principles, techniques. Spectrums, theology, philosophy. Yeah, principles versus techniques. This yeah. is one we keep coming back to. I don't know if it's come up on the podcast yet, but this will, <gasps> if this is the first, then it's certainly the first of many. I'm sure it has, but I can't recall. We probably talked about it like in passing, but never yeah. defining it. Yeah, but principles versus technique. This is something we talk about a lot. And this yeah. is the core of learning, really. This is the core of learning about learning, about learning theory, yeah. um, is principle versus technique. Because a lot of teaching, uh, the, specifically you are talking earlier about what's essentially rote teaching, right? Yeah. Rote memorization, memorizing rote memorization. bullet points um, or teaching lists of things rather than the principles underlying those things. And if you do that, you could get people to know a lot of facts, but you can't get them to understand mm -hmm. the why of why a lot of stuff happens or why certain equations work certain ways or why certain reactions happen, things like that. Yeah. You lose that with rote memorization. But on the broader spectrum, rote learning is endemic in a lot of teaching cultures. We talk especially about martial arts culture. Martial oh, arts gosh, culture yes. is full of rote learning, and generally speaking, this is where we get our terminology from, Mar martial arts culture has a long history of the uh, teaching of technique over principle, yeah. Yeah. right? Where, And especially after its boom in popularity in the 70s and 80s, where you have a lot of McDojos here in the States mm -hmm. and in Western culture in general, there was a huge explosion of teaching of technique over principle. And techniques were taught, like you do this specific movement, this specific strike, this specific uh, set of techniques in this specific circumstance. And the problem with that is that it just wasn't very practical. It did not form complete fighters yeah. because they would only know very specific things to do in very specific circumstances. And as you've often pointed out, because you, you study a lot of human behavior and especially human behavior under stressful circumstances yeah. and under stressful circumstances, humans behave differently than they do in normal circumstances. Maybe you yeah. could pass a test listing those techniques <laughs> under, you yeah. know, if you're in a classroom environment, uh, uh, like a however, choice bubble chest. Yeah. Yeah. A multiple choice test, but like, yeah, your brain physically changes its chemical structure. If you're under stress, like, uh, such as being in a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what the, you know what the, uh, the, the technical definition of a hormone is? Uh, I don't know if I could say the technical definition. So like a, what a hormone is, because like there are a bunch of different chemicals within the body, right? But for one to be considered a hormone, it has to affect every part of the body. Like, not simultaneously, but it has to have an effect on every, every part of the body. Adrenaline is a hormone. A hormone that is released under stress. Your body literally changes its physical chemical composition if you are under stress you cannot by like just 
just just by comparison, you cannot train for one thing not under pressure and expect to have the similar results under pressure. Mm-hmm. You're literally a different person. Yeah, exactly. But but then you try to you have all these like well, uh, these McDojos took the ideas of like these of uh, this rope memorization technique of like teaching set set technique like patterns after karate and like a lot of like uh, Chinese martial arts who developed these who developed these techniques to teach a large group of people at the same time in wartime, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that was designed to basically make people military combat ready and send them in, and then you know hopefully have less of your people killed than the other that's completely different that's a completely different uh just setting to what we have right now like why would you base an entire learning structure off of an ancient technique during a time of war it's that's not how that's not how that works yeah but they 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 completely lost that context and just said oh this is how it's been taught for thousands of years obviously that's correct but that's not it's a, it's a different situation. Like, we're in a oh, different yeah. time now. Yeah, different time. And also, war is just... I, I, should, I should say was, because I guess war has changed quite a bit. But war was a lot more structured, you know, than the kind of combat that the typical person learning martial arts today would be. So... And, and just the reasons we went to war were completely different. That's also true. Yeah. And, yeah, geopolitics, everything has shifted. But yeah. the... So that's that's technique, right? And that's what's yeah. uh, was popular to teach in martial arts for a long time. Still kind of is. But the what in there's been in McDojo's. <laughs> but what there's big advocacy for in the martial arts world and in teaching in general more broadly now is a shift towards uh principle over technique yeah. rather than teaching rote memorization and specific techniques for specific circumstances, teaching instead the principle behind those techniques Mm -hmm. and the reason you do them and the way you navigate circumstances teaching those teaching principles that are universal instead of techniques so that you can apply your knowledge in a variety of circumstances without having to think and try to access memorized routines or facts in the middle of stressful situations is yeah that's that's way more practical in the long run yeah understanding critical thinking and problem solving as opposed to a to b to c yeah because when you think specifically of the martial arts application again like you said when you're under stress when you're under extreme pressure right if you're fighting to defend yourself you are not going to be able to access specific rote memories of whatever techniques you learn to yeah. defend against specific circumstances, let alone to like react fast enough to be able to, to try and apply them. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Not going to happen at any level of quality anyway. So, so like, like, like for, like, for example, let me just give you a quick, uh, funny little example of how our brains might work. Right. <laughs> so let's say, let's say I gave you a, a, a completely random string of numbers. Right. And I tell you to memorize them. Mm. Okay. You, you memorize them. That's fine. And you could repeat them however many ways you want right front to back and then i say like okay now give me only the odd numbers it's like oh well it's, it's gonna be a little bit different it's like, okay what if i tell you to only give me uh like or like or repeat it to me backwards right or it's like okay mm. you might be able to do that kind of stuff but it takes a lot more effort now what if i told you instead 
that those numbers were your phone number. Suddenly it's like, oh, I have context for that. And it's like, okay, then now, because it's, I have context for that, I don't have to say, I, have to, I, don't, I don't have to like memorize the entire thing. I just have to kind of remember, or like your birthday or something like that, right? There's mm-hmm. context for that. There's reasons for me to be able to pull back on that and say, oh yeah, I know all the odd numbers in my phone, in my, in my birthday. I know, I, I can reset my birthday backwards, but if, it was like a, but if you, uh, without that kind of context, it's just a completely random string of numbers that you have to memorize in order and recall them, right? And so being able to say, okay, let's memorize your birthday versus here's a completely random string of numbers. What we want you to do is be able to be able to say, my birthday is based on my personal history. I've, uh, I know it because it's important to me personally, as opposed to something entirely separate from me as a person and just something to add to a list to recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah, it's just not and it's not just these sets of numbers. It's knowing yeah. what those numbers mean exactly. and being like, OK. You know, that's just not just the number four, for example, that yeah. is the month of April in yeah. the month that I was born. It's like, whoa, that OK, that recontextualizes things. Uh, so and yeah, so it's like, OK, just give me uh, all those numbers in a random random order. Yeah, I can give my 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 birthday in a random order and not miss a single number because I know those numbers front to back because it's a part of me as a person and it's not it's been contextualized in my in my being. I know why those numbers are important. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then when it comes to martial arts, again, like when you're under pressure and when you're in a circumstance where you have to fight, that's something that like you're essentially reduced to base instincts and emotions at that point. Yeah. And at that point, you don't have time to access your reservoir of techniques. You're just you're purely operating on principles there. But if you haven't been yeah. taught principles, then you have nothing to fall back on. And it's not, yeah, it's just, you need, to, you need those broad strokes of yeah. general guidelines to lead your actions. And you to, it's, just, it's the same thing with, yeah, all sorts of teaching. Yeah, you have to be able to, you have to be able to operate with basically your like your frontal cortex turned off, <laughs> your the part of your brain that that is that you you normally use every single day, you have to be able to operate with that off to be effective. And rote memorization is all just recollection and like higher brain functions. You you have zero access to higher brain not zero, but you have lessened access to higher brain functions under stress under high stress. You have to be able to root that information somewhere deeper somewhere instinctive Mm -hmm. yeah and so principles over techniques understanding the reasons for things so that you can make informed and wise and discerning decisions versus knowing specific facts or techniques or what have you and it's actually kind of interesting i see i know another example of this in the sort of philosophy world because like apologetics is an interesting thing, you know, I, I, I'm interested in some Christian apologetics as well. And I remember one apologist I listened to talking about like what the recommendation of like the one book anybody who wants to get into apologetics should read is. And there are lots of books about apologetics. There are lots of books about 
like doing specific kinds of like, say, Christian apologetics, right? It's like, oh, here's how you refute this worldview, or here's yeah. the, the the common arguments that they may use if they're coming at you from this worldview. And those are all well, well and good. But you said, I remember um, hearing one apologist recommend, it's like, if, they, if you could read any one book about apologetics, it's actually one that doesn't talk about any of that at all. And it's called Tactics. And it doesn't talk about, the, the book Tactics doesn't talk about how to refute specific arguments or worldviews, it talks about how to converse with people, right? And how to navigate like an apologetics conversation. And it's completely about principles. And apparently it's a master class on that kind of uh, discourse and argumentation um, of how to, how to talk to people and how to ask questions and how to lead conversations in such a way that you can enter like worldview-based debates convincingly. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's actually, that's very interesting. But it's the same thing, yeah, with all kinds of learning. It's, apl- it's applicable in all fields. Principles are always going to be the superior way of learning because- Yeah, absolutely. In effect, you're not really learning anything with <laughs> facts or techniques other than maybe party tricks. You are being taught, but you're not learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not learning. You're not really learning anything. And like nobody wants to be. Uh, OK, I'm not going to say nobody, but <laughs> nobody wants to be a dog that can do tricks. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's like, sit down, roll over. It's like, ah, oh, food. There's no there's no reason there's no reason to want, for a dog to, want to, to want to sit down and roll over it other than like, oh, it can be treat. Yeah, you don't want to be able to just like do tricks on command. That's not that's not what you it's not what you should want to do. It's not what you should want. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you should be you should just like have some dignity for yourself. Have, have some dignity. <laughs> uh, OK, well, that went in all sorts of directions I wasn't expecting, I but we should probably wind this conversation down for a close. I, was there, I feel like there was three different podcast recordings in there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, but thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Hypercube podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with original theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. God bless. Adios, amigos. Adios.